And so understanding that, that discipline and executing the plan is first and foremost, it will get you to do the things that you need to do more importantly than, oh, I'm so excited to do this today. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're excited to go be successful. You're just not willing to do the things that make you successful. Hey, I'm Ashley Agle. Some of you might know me as Ashley Burkhart, and I'm a former D1 and professional softball player who spent a few years coaching in the college game before deciding to put all of my focus into youth softball players and helping them make their dreams and their goals happen for them. It's our job to help them unleash their potential and become the athletes they've always dreamt of. I come from a small city in the Midwest and didn't let that stop me from making my goal of playing D1 softball a reality. No matter where you live, you have the tools to help you thrive, and I am hoping through this podcast to help you get there. On this podcast, you'll learn from Olympians, Hall of Fame coaches, and elite players what their journeys have been like, and you'll also learn from me and my family a bit of our journey through the game. I'm so excited to have you here, so whip out your notebook and let's learn how we can grow in this game together. Welcome to When the Cleats Come Off. Hey, welcome back to another episode of When the Cleats Come Off. I'm your host, Ashley Eggle, and we are going to talk off-season today. So we are in the midst of off-season, at least most of us are, and this is a question that I get asked often. What should we do in the off-season to make the most of it? Well, I called in my great friend, Chris Vasami, and we sat and had a conversation about it. So to keep it short and sweet, we talk about many things, about how we should treat the off-season based on the goals that we have, priorities during off-season, importance of creating and sticking to an efficient plan, how athletes can start taking more initiative of their training, and so much more. And if you don't know, Chris has been on the podcast three other times. The first being a really emotional episode about overcoming adversity, which I highly recommend if you have not listened, please go do it. You get to learn about Chris's story playing pro baseball, his collegiate story, and even his story of battling cancer. It's pretty amazing, and so is he. The other time he was on the podcast, we talked about five hitting myths. So he is a hitting instructor just like me, and there are some icks that we have to deal with as instructors that we wanted to nail on the head when it comes to myths about hitting. So we dove into that. And this week is all about off-season training. So dive in to this episode, pause if you need. It's a little long, but it is one of our favorite recordings that we have done so far. So let's welcome to the show, Chris Vasami. Let's go. Chris Vasami's back in the house. Hey, man. Always good to be here. Hi. This is what your third Always time on the show. Here. I feel like it's your third. Yeah. Yeah. Technically fourth episode though, because I think we split our hitting misconceptions podcast episode into like two. Yeah. Yeah. But that was a fun one. Gosh, we we got into that one. We we, we I mean the amount of like lies people believe about hitting. I mean we we shared what five things, and there's got to be like yeah, I mean five million. We kept going. I know. I know. But I'm excited to have you here today because strictly we're in off season and a lot of people have questions about how to handle it. Like, when should you take days off? How should you take days off? What should you be working on in the off season? How often? Like, I think this is just a question that a lot of people have and Mm -hmm. we'll just share our thoughts on it. It's not like our, our word is gold. 
But I feel like you and I, we share a lot of ideas around this topic and many topics around hitting. And this could actually go for more than just hitting. Pitchers can listen to this, catchers, like defenders, the amount of like, this is just like a broad episode. So it's not just about hitting, even though you and I are hitting instructors, but I think you and I's perspective on this may be different than most or some, but I think we can help a lot of people out today. What do you think? I agree. I mean, I I think it's, they're going, thinking about what we just talked about in terms of the misconceptions when it comes to hitting, it's the same thing when it comes to training. And that's, that's the, the key goal is to help people understand that it is training. And training is based off of a goal and a plan and how to objectively go about that. Whereas working out is singular. Anybody can work out, but to sit there and follow a true training plan and to sit down and understand what your goals are, work backwards, see what has to go into that on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to make sure that you've given yourself the best off season you can is it takes time and it takes some research and some knowledge and and more importantly, questions to people who have been there and done what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that when you ha- like training is having a goal and creating a plan. I think creating the goal is obviously the easiest thing. Like it's a dream. It's like you wake up at two in the morning. I really want this. Like, how do you get there? That's what you and I are for. We're here to help our athletes figure out how to get there. So having the goal, creating the plan, the plan is the part that I think people forget or miss most often is the planning part. Now, I think before we even dive into the planning, what is off season? Like, I feel like everybody's got their own definition of it. What do you think? What's your definition of off season? The definition of off season is when you have zero games to be playing. That is off season. No games. No, nothing that can get in the way, nothing, no roadblocks, whether it be the actual physical part. I mean, the amount of times I hear a kid say, well, I can't work out because I don't want to be sore. I can't work out because I don't want to be sore for my game. I don't want to be tired for my game. Great. So then we have to stop playing games at some point. The, you know, when it comes to the training part of, of hitting, for a lot of times, there's two types of categories. You have the kid who needs to get more explosive this offseason. You have the player who needs to be more precise this offseason. Because at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is both. We're trying to be as explosive as possible and as precise as possible with bat-to-ball, contact, out in front, directional, things like that. So that's the precision piece. So what category do you fall in? And The problem is, I think, is that a lot of players, they think that they can work on both at the same time, and that's just not the case. You can't be working on becoming a more explosive athlete, whether it be swinging or throwing or running, and also take the time to focus on the precision piece. So you have to break it down into, I'm going to spend three or four weeks on this, and then three or four weeks on this, and then hopefully the last three or four weeks of the offseason is bringing it all together. And the first thing is to understand what... What do you actually need to work on this offseason? We all can become a better, stronger, more coordinated athlete. So we can all be working on those things. But from your swing perspective, do you make a lot of contact and now you want to see an uptick in power? Or do you already have the power, but the consistency is lacking? So identifying what type of player that you're trying to be next year will dictate the type of offseason that you're supposed to be having. Right. Now, what would you say? I'm going to back up here. 
there are teams playing all year. Like they don't have times where they don't have games. Now, I I think that's a problem strictly because like how do you how do you develop this plan when you have games going on or do you just say, you know, the games going on in December, January are just scrimmages like in your head? Like can you still train the same way? What would you say to those? No. No, I, I in my opinion it's wrong. I mean, even in college, we there's a portion of the year where we don't play games. We don't even there's no scrimmaging. There's no there's no inner squads. There's no pitchers throwing to hitters. Like there's just there's none of that. There has to be a break. There has to be a point where your training cannot always have consequence attached to it. Mm. And that's the problem with so many young athletes is they are never fully in a space to just be able to work and make mistakes and be able to then see what works, what doesn't work, what do I have to adjust. Even just the ability to add 10 pounds to your deadlift over the course of three or four weeks. You have to be able to work hard at that and then have the ability to properly recover so that your next training session can be useful. And so if I'm constantly worried about, I have a game this weekend, I have a scrimmage this weekend, even just the slightest bit of hesitation, you're going to take that into the offseason and there's no way that you're going to be able to have a productive offseason while still playing games. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, I, I do remember I was one of the kids who had, you know, a round robin every once in a while in the middle of December. But those those games themselves, these are not qualifying you for a summer nationals tournament. Like, as far as I'm concerned, like, there's a fall and then there's, like, big tournaments where coaches can still go. But, like, coaches aren't out recruiting at a lot of these tournaments that a lot of young kids, obviously, are playing in the winter. So like, why are we playing in the winter? Why do you think that's even a thing? Is that a money thing? <laughs> it's a money. It's a, it's an industry thing. It's a money thing. Absolutely. So save your money. Don't play. This organization, <laughs> right. My organization is justifying the amount that I'm charging you to play. So I can sit there and say, look how many games we play. Yeah. Whereas again, it goes back to the idea of Quality work over time is what allows the development. I would rather you hit for 15 minutes a day than once or twice a week for two hours. The everyday piece is how we we allow this compound effect to happen. That's how we allow the habits to sink in. That's how we allow the quality mind-body connection to sink in. It's the repetitive quality nature of it. I always alluded to, I always compare it to school. And if you were in the band at school, you practiced all year round for two shows, a winter concert and a spring concert. And guess what? If right before the winter concert, you practiced and the teacher said, I'm sorry, but you don't know this piece of music, you don't get to perform. But it's the opposite when it comes to sports. Why do we play sports? To play games. And so games is always going to trump practice and training and delayed gratification. And that's how the industry is these days. And that's how I can charge what I charge for you to be on my team because look how many games we get to play. Hmm. I need that to sink in a little. Strictly because, you know, I think of training with my dad. It was like over the winter, I think I just shared a post about this. It's like some of my favorite moments in the winter were, you know, every day 
or every other day when I was little. My dad was the athletic director at a school and we had access to the gym, but we didn't have access to the gym until like 8 30, 9 o'clock when the gym was cleared. And we'd eat right. dinner, do our homework, and our fun time was like go to the gym and go play. You know, we'd, we'd train, of yeah. course, like we'd get the work in. But that was some of me and my sister's like favorite memories. It's just like, hey, let's just go goof around and get better. And I feel like that's right. how you get no better. Is you just show up and then you go do things. Well, think, think about this. Okay? And I've had this conversation with a ton of players. The best players in the world, the professionals, and I'm specifically talking about baseball right now. We have spring training. We have 30 to 35 days worth of time and practice and games and inner squads where for the most part, whether you win 20, nothing or lose 20, nothing, nobody really cares. It's just about implementing all the work you've put in, in the off season to see if it translates to the game. And then the stuff you did before the game and the stuff you've done after the game with your, with your either coordinator or, or coach or a specific position coach or your hitting coach, you have the ability to play without consequence. And as amateurs, the people who need that the most, we don't get that at all. Mm -hmm. As soon as March hits and game one happens, it all matters. So if you've gone a whole off season and not truly understood what you're trying to accomplish and not truly understand and trust all the work that you've put in, the first time you step in that batter's box, the first thought is, well, what if I mess up? What if I fail? What if it doesn't work? That's a terrible place to be as an amateur. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you're huge on on making practice as game-like as possible in regards to like challenges. Is that what you emphasize more in the off-season or do you do that the same throughout off-season and in-season? So it, it it's obviously dependent upon the individual player and where we are and what they need to work on. But as a general template, for me, November and December is looking at what we what happened this summer what worked, what didn't work, identifying weaknesses, identifying strengths, continuing to work on our strengths, figuring out our weaknesses. And then November, December, for the most part is, hey, we're going to continue to work on our swing, but we're going to learn how to get stronger. We're going to learn how to swing faster. For the most part in November and beginning December, I will always have a round at the end of BP where I just say, I just want you to understand and let's figure out what is your max effort and what does that look like? And we'll take five sets of five max effort swings out of control. Who cares? Don't care if you swing a mess. Don't care about anything. Just let's see what your top gear is. And then we, we see what that is. And, and you would be shocked at how many kids surprise themselves in that they felt out of control but still just barreled up three out of five balls. Mm. And so it's helping them learn to trust that because you've worked on the precision piece for so long and you actually know more than you think you do, when you decide to quote unquote, let it go, it's not as out of control as you think it is. And so that starts to build that aha moment of, okay, you know what? Yeah. Give me the heavy bat next time. Now I'm not scared of the heavy bat. Now I'm not scared of the weight. Now I'm not scared of this drill. I'm not scared of that drill. And they start to understand how it's actually, it's all coming together and it's working. So November and December is that piece for me. January is starting to work on some of the precision piece and work on the hand-eye coordination, off-speed pitches, breaking pitches, finding the barrel, finding our contact point. And then February is getting ready, putting it all together, game situations, 
velocity, off-speed stuff, whatever it is you feel like you, the top two things that you feel like you need to work on leading into the season, that's what we do. Mm. So what about those people that just want to show up in you know January and say, get me ready for season? I fortunately am in a place now where I really don't have any of those players anymore. I am able to sit there and tell people if you just want a few lessons to quote unquote get ready for the season, I I have other people that I can absolutely recommend you to. But you know, that's not training. It's the same thing as, you know, quote unquote working out. You know, those same people who show up in January to get ready for the season, their goals are just not the same as my goals or most of the kids who show up at Vasami training who want to get better mm-hmm. season after season. Do the majority of the kids you work with want to play at the next level? It's interesting. Once they hit high school and they start to see that they are all the hard work that they've put in is, is coming to fruition and they're starting to separate themselves. Then they look at it and go, I think I can actually do this. And yeah, majority of them, once I have them in high school, their first goal is I just want to be a really good high school player. And then once they realize they're a really good high school player, they go, well, maybe, maybe I'll look at the next level. So this might be a complicated question, but the kids who just want to be really good high school players, their plan is obviously going to look different than the plan of a kid who wants to play in college, right? But mm-hmm. I'm sure there's similarities along the way too. But how how do you treat a player who just wants to be really good and a player who wants to play at the next level? What is what is their plan look like? Well, I think the sa- the plan is is the same. The blueprint's the same. I think what differentiates I want to be a really good high school player from I want to be a college player is the level of exposure that you then want to give yourself in terms of what showcases do you go to spending time at a college camp, maybe getting on a little bit more of a experienced and competitive summer program. That's going to take you maybe just out of your region. It's going to take you more national. It's going to take you, and play against those other high level competition. But for the most part, the training piece is pretty similar. And I think the only place that for me as a, as a teacher or as a mentor, it's just going to be a little bit less accountability on those high school players as the college players. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'll be much the, 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 the college player who sits there and says to me, I want to play in college they are held to a higher standard in terms of the accountability of what they're doing in between sessions on their own. Mm -hmm. Because I think I'm on record saying this, even with you, you're not going to be part of the 5% and do anything less or any less special than what the rest of the other 5% has done to get there at any point in time, whether it's my generation, your generation, the generation before me, whatever it is. If you want to be part of the 5%, some special things and some special sacrifices are going to have to be made. Like what? Time. Time with your friends. Time with even family sometimes. The ability to have a plan on a daily basis. Are you writing out a list? Are you explaining or are, are you explaining to the people who who are around you the most about the things that are priorities on your list and the things that just have to get done? Even from my own personal experience, you know. Friday nights in high school were me training and in my basement. And I always tell my friends, I'll text you when I'm done. 
And if you're out, I'll come meet you. And if you're not, no big deal. And I'd probably say 80% of the time, guess what? They weren't out anymore. So I didn't even miss anything in the first place. It's those type of things that you have to be okay with. That's the discipline of of all of this. Yeah. And I relate to that to an extent. I think Friday nights in the fall, I'm huge in football and our team was always really good. So I was out there. But I mean, I remember even training before that game or even, you know, Saturday morning, dad's like, let's go. We're going to go train. So like you kind of just have to work around like what your priorities are, I feel like. And obviously the extra work, I would say for a kid who wants to play in college, it's got to be, it's got to come from you and be more like, you know, than than the kid who just wants to be good. Right. Because all in all, if you want to make it to the next level, like you were just saying, it's going to require you to, to own this. Like, I feel like a lot of people, they say they want to do this, but they're still being drugged to practice and to training by their parents or their coaches. And I think you and I do a good job of making sure that the kids that we work with and that want what they want know exactly what they're getting themselves into. I think one of my biggest pet peeves in this world that we live in is so many coaches are there for the money and not for like literally being honest with the kids that they work with. You know, like that freshman who's like, I want to play in college. And then you look at their work ethic and it's just not there. And you're like, hey, this is what we expect and what you're going to need to expect from yourself in order to make this happen. Because it's like everybody wants the dream. Sure. And and people want to work for it, but I don't think everybody knows how to work for it. Truly. No, and and, and I think the issue is that we are living in a society now of instant gratification. Right. You have to teach delayed gratification now. I mean, even, even me growing up as a kid, if I wanted to find something, I went to the encyclopedia. I went to the phone book. I called information. I mean, these things, it was like, there was a, a, a just a built-in, you're going to have to work for it, no matter how big or small it is. And now I just, I I joke with my players all the time. I'm like, you guys sit there and you watch YouTube videos and you think it's, you know, osmosis. Like like watching it is a piece of it. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate you watching the top 25 double plays turned in 2010, but now go turn the double play. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you, you know, watching the top exit velocities from 2021. Now go like, Work on your swing. Work, get in the gym. Do like there's a piece of that, but teaching delayed gratification, teaching that this is going to take three, four, six, eight, nine months, and and that's one of the things I'm very honest with my players about is if you come to me and and we first meet in the middle of a season, what we do might work that season. It might, but I'm always looking six months down the road. So if you Come to me in September. If any progress is made between September and March, awesome, great. But my vision is that you feel like a different player come March. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want you to that like, and it's really hard because even though I say that and we have that conversation, I ask them like, how'd your game go? Not caring about any of the results, just did you have any different feeling at all? And they're like, well, I, I, you know, I, I kept still popping up. I'm like, yeah, I know. Got it. 
because you're like you don't have a new game brain yet. No, your bad you habits your are still game, there. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Not just gonna so go away. It's, so it's these it's these conversations that you're continually trying to have to shift perspective and helping them understand like what work over time actually truly means. What do you wish parents could help their athletes with when it comes to teaching delayed gratification? Because I say parents because they're with your their kids so much more yeah. than we are. What do you wish they would know? Patience. How do you teach that? I, <laughs> constantly putting it back on them. Yeah. And bringing it to their life experience, mm. helping them under, you know, helping them understand, you know, I, parents will say to me, Oh, you know, it's, it's been, you know, we've been together a month and I go, we've been together four hours. <laughs> I've seen you once a week for an hour. We're not, we haven't been together a month. We've been together for four hours. That's half a work day. Mm. So when you got to work, can you explain to me what you did between eight and 12 on Tuesday morning. Now expand that over a month. You wouldn't have a job if you did one hour of work a week for a month. So it's helping them understand the, the perspective and that there's always going to be a tipping point that the old version and the new version will tip to the other side. And once that new version sinks in, we don't go back to the old version because the old version didn't even understand the how and the why in the first place. Right. And the work that has been put in to now understand the how and the why. It's I'm sure you see this too. And, and I see this all the time with specifically that 13, 14, 15 year old age, you get the phone call and the parents say, you know, he, he was just, he was so good when he was 10. She was so good when she was 11. They were such great little leaguers. I don't know what happened. I go, well, what happened is the fact that they were really good athletes who were naturally able to make contact with the ball. And then the problem is, is that once the level of the competition starts to rise, they don't stand out anymore. And the frustrating part is that if you really go back to when they were 10, 11, and 12, they didn't even know how they had success in the first place. Mm. So when success goes away, now you're truly lost. So how do they, I mean, I don't want to tell an eight-year-old to like train a ton, but I can't, I can tell you 10 or so athletes that come to mind that were just so elite at a young age and they were just above everyone. And then they get to the level that they always dream. Like they signed at a school early, they get to the school and they're not good. Oh, how do we, well, it's also, it's, it's scalable. It's, it's scalable. Yeah. I don't, you know, people ask me all the time, well, you know, what, how young is too young? I go, it's young is just an age. I go, it's about maturity and what do they want to do? I said, I have 12 year olds who have never asked their parents to go in the backyard and play catch. And I have seven year olds that every day they get off the bus, it's like, dad, let's go backyard. Mm -hmm. Which player would you take? Obviously the seven. Right. So do I want to see a seven year old every week? No. Every two to three weeks. I want, because they're, I know that they're going to be in the backyard practicing. And guess what? Again, it's scalable. You give them one thing to focus on. And if they focus on that one thing for a year and that one thing gets better, they're already four years ahead of that 12-year-old. Mm -hmm. So it's about making it scalable to the age 
the person, that's why I say this is all individual, but the actual individual that you are dealing with is what's going to help you un- teach them the work that they need. If you want to play in college, six days a week. If you're 11, three to four days a week. And if you want to do more, be my guest. Does that include but the minimum at that? Does point. that include practice with team and practice with uh, an instructor? So if you're in, if you're with your instructor, I would count that as a day. If you're with your team, I would not count that as a day. Because mm-hmm. you're doing what they okay. want you to do. And also, you know, in, in a 90 minute practice, if you hit as a team, it's 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, you're not getting many reps. 30 to 45 minutes split up between 12 kids is 10 reps per kid. Mm-hmm. Who's getting anything done in 10 reps? Where you and here's the best part. When you're at a team practice, you don't even get time to stop and and go, whoa, that swing was terrible. Let me reset. Let me make sure my hands are right. Oh, wow. Look at that. Every time I swing, I don't even look down at my feet. I'm standing in a different place every single time. It's literally a waste of time. Those 10 swings at practice are so that the child can then go home later that day and can tell the parents, oh, we hit today. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't. So I challenge all my players. I go, 10 swings is good enough for you? And they go, no. I said, well, then either before or after practice, I better hear that you're in the backyard taking another 50 swings. Yeah. And working on the thing that we are working on. Because like, the thing that you're spending time on with your instructor, you're likely not going to give that, be given that time in a practice. Not That's required for you to do. I always tell my kids, right. like, show up 10, 15 minutes early to practice and just go do the things that you could have done. Because I, I think people, they don't train because they think it's this big feat. Like, oh my gosh, I have to go and do and plan and drive this one place. Okay, well, you're already going to practice. There's already tees there and balls there. There's likely a spot for you to get in some teamwork before you start. 100%. You can do this. Again, it goes back to the 15 minutes a day. Give me 15 minutes a day. Yeah. Watch the changes. Yeah. It's officially the holiday season. And even though you are listening to this after all the Black Friday deals, don't worry, you still have a deal. So as you may have heard on the podcast before, podcast 10, the numbers one zero, can get you 10% off your entire order of our empowerment gear, which also includes an entirely new line of when the cleats come off gear. And let me tell you, I have enjoyed, my team and I have enjoyed creating some of the most premier gear for you. And honestly, we're not buying the cheap stuff. We don't have the cheap cotton that shrinks every time you dry it. No, this is the stuff where you can pull on the shirt and it has flexibility and it is so comfortable. Ask anyone who has bought this gear or has worn it before. So just to give you a little holiday discount, Podcast 10 will get you 10% off, but it now also includes free shipping. Shipping costs are so annoying these days, and honestly, I think we're all overpaying in shipping. So let me take care of the shipping for you so that you can buy you and your loved ones some of our most exciting gear, whether it's podcast gear, summer gear, mugs, hats, water bottles. We've put it all together for you. How do you get there? Head to www.ashleybtraining.com. Click on the tab, Empowerment Gear. That'll take you to our website with all of our different clothing lines and apparel. So don't forget, type in podcast ten one zero at checkout and add the discount code PODSHIP, P-O-D-S-H-I-P, 
and you will be able to get 10% off your next order and some free shipping. Make sure to get those orders in soon so you are guaranteed all of these gifts by the holidays. All right, let's head back to this episode. A lot of coaches are listening and they're like, oh crap, this is my practice. <laughs> like my kids get 10, 10 swings a day. How can they How can they make it? I mean, I know you've worked with a lot of teams and programs, so I know you're an expert in this. So what are ways that coaches can start implementing, you know, more quality over just, you know, not even quantity, but just say like so-so work to something that's better, especially from hitting. Deem it a hitting only practice. Mm. On the days that you want to work on defense and, and ground balls and cutoffs and things like that, you're not also going to hit. Like the whole half the team goes to the cage, half the team stays on the field and then flip-flop. Like don't do that anymore. Mm. Let it be, hey, today's going to be a hitting-only practice. These four kids come for the first 30 minutes. These four kids come for the next 30 minutes. These four kids come in the last 30 minutes. And now you are spending quality time. Mm. And you're getting to know these individual hitters, not just saying blanket generic stuff to 12 individuals that you think have all the same issues. They don't. Yeah. So what a good conversation with them, because being a head coach on a team, you have, I don't know what, 15 players and they, and a lot of them might have hitting coaches. Do you, should they talk to them about their hitting coaches? Like what's your hitting coach telling you right now? What should those conversations look like? Absolutely. It should be a conversation because if we've known, if we know anything, okay, it's no different than personal trainers, tutors, doctors. When a human feels comfortable with another human and they see quality and they see value, that loyalty sticks. So I've had players who I've been training for five or six years who have played on 15 different teams. Mm -hmm. Who's the constant? The player. The, the player and the coach. And so if, if I'm a head coach of an, of an organization and I don't spend time working one-on-one and I have these general ideas of what I believe a swing should be, have a conversation with your player. Because if the player is being taught the right way, that player should be able to have a conversation with you about the things that he or she needs to do to take a quality swing. Yeah. And they should be able to say, Hey, one of my biggest weaknesses is that, you know, as I stride, I drop my hands. So could you do me a favor? And like, really, could you make sure I keep my hands up as I stride? Mm. What head coach would go? No, absolutely not. Crazy one. <laughs> so it's, it's the, the communication piece is always going to be there because the private pitching coach, the private hitting coach. We're even seeing more and more private defending coaches, private defense coaches who are helping the speed and agility piece come into it. The footwork, the mind-body connection, rhythm, timing, first step, explosiveness, like all this stuff is coming into play. And I think it's a good thing because there's so much blind loyalty out there. And communication and people being exposed to different things is what then breeds some development because they can sit there and say, I like that. I like that. This is consistent. Or even if you just listened to 10 different people and picked 
the common themes throughout all those 10 different people. You'd sit there and go, oh, okay, these are, I guess these are things I should be paying attention to. This is why I love podcasting because I have a million people on the podcast and they all have different perspectives about hitting or defense or pitching. Right. I mean, all in all, it's you're molding yourself to be the best version of you and you can use things from other people. Now, to get back on track with off-season, I think all of this has to do yeah. with off-season, especially owning your swing and having conversations around it. But you you put out this tweet the other day. Do you remember what it was? Start following your plan, not your mood. Good. I love that. Okay, so you said that and somebody literally, and I reposted it and somebody goes, we need to put this on a t-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, we do. <laughs> Because if we only train when we're motivated, we're like going to train maybe once a week, <laughs> you know, because yeah. there most days we're, we're going to find other things that sound sexier than training. Um, Absolutely. But I think that's where like having the goal and building the plan is like the essential part. Um, you know me, I've been a little tired than normal lately. Like I think a plan is necessity for me. Yeah. Um, cause I'm, I'm not as motivated and I know you haven't been feeling well lately. So like a plan is what it's literally your like bread and butter. It's like, it's like your survival plan, if anything. So can you elaborate on this quote and how important it is to plan rather than just do things based on your mood? The idea is behind that tweet was the idea that we're all tired. We are all would rather be comfortable and cozy than not. The moment you think something is hard, it's the exact reason why you should be doing it. Mm. And it all comes down to discipline and being able to understand that discipline gets you what you want. Sticking to the plan, executing the plan is what gets you what you want. Flying by the seat of your pants and just going based off of what you feel like doing that day will not. Because not only that, but you also miss aspects of the things that you need to be working on. I don't like running, so I run three times a week. It's not fun for me. The idea of carving out 30 minutes to just go for a run is not fun, which is why I do it. And guess what? As I've done it more and more, I can't say I've enjoyed it, but what I have enjoyed is how it makes me feel when I'm in the weight room, mm. how much stronger my legs are because I'm building up a stronger engine. I'm able to work out longer, harder, more quality reps. All these things lead to the goals that I have personally. And if you really took a poll on a daily basis of how many times you woke up fired up, to do the things that you know you have to do as opposed to you want to do, you get nothing done. Which is why, more importantly, the, to be your own account accountability partner is huge. But then to find another accountability partner is just as big. Mm -hmm. Because these are the things that you, A, you don't want to let yourself down. And B, you wouldn't want to let anybody else down either. And so understanding that that discipline and executing the plan is first and foremost, it will get you to do the things that you need to do more importantly than, oh, I'm so excited to do this today. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're excited to go be successful. 
you're just not willing to do the things that make you successful. Mm. Um, great. One of the greatest books I ever read um, was Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you read it yet? It, it's three times. Basi- yeah, three times, of course. It's basically saying everything that you're saying. It's it's not like you want to do it, but you know you need no. to do it to be where you want to be. Right. And I think, and this is where, you know, some people might be tuning out right now. Like, yeah, I've heard this a million times. <laughs> but the difference between the kid who makes it and the kid who doesn't, the coach who makes it, the coach who doesn't, anybody, CEOs, make it, don't. It's this part right here. Yeah. It's the showing up when, when you don't want to, but you just show up. I've never shown up when I didn't want to and didn't feel good about it later. Right. It's the same thing. It's going back to the scalability. It's about being a smart person. It's about knowing yourself. It's about understanding when you can push yourself or when you might need to scale back. Or, But whether you're pushing yourself or scaling back, the key is that you're actually getting it done. Mm-hmm. And so we all have our highs and lows. You know, I tell my kids, ride the highs, work through the lows. Like, but because you can't just stop. If you're going you through know, hell, keep on under- going. <laughs> right. They, a lot of these kids don't understand the power of absolute zero. Yeah. Half a percent, one percent, two percent better on a daily basis is always better than nothing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the best day of your life. It doesn't have to be the best workout of your life. It doesn't have to be the best hitting session of your life, but you have to get it done. And then when, when, if you choose not to get it done because it's a choice, then you are not allowed to look at somebody who made the choice to do it and go, that's not fair. Look how lucky they are. And that's everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. This is why I didn't really like high school. Because that was something that, you know, my dad helped me a lot with figuring out how this worked for me. Also, I ended up taking a lot of ownership into this part. And then, you know, you have people that just look at you and they go, hmm. She's going to sit the bench for four years at Purdue. You know, I'm just yeah. like, cool. Yeah. Like what part of you <laughs> needed to say that? Like, I kind of enjoyed it though. Cause I was like, okay, first of all, I don't even know you. Second of all, you don't know me. And this is, this is only fueling me. So thank you. Now, when it comes to the accountability part though, like, I don't know how to explain this. Why should athletes take more initiative in their own training and maybe how can they do that? I think this is the part where I don't deal with it as much anymore, but I know it's a big thing. And I know like people listening, they probably maybe have kids that aren't motivated to go do the thing. Like how can they say this and get it for their athletes to stick? Helping them understand that all the credit goes to them and all the blame goes to them as well. Mm. Say that one more time, one more time. Helping them understand that all the credit goes to them and all the blame goes to them as well. That's accountability. That's personal responsibility. And it has to be taught and it has to be learned and it has to continuously be focused on. Amen. I love this. I love this. But the problem is is that there are a lot of adults out there who don't understand that concept either. Right. And so... To watch an adult, to watch somebody evolve into their own personal responsibility, to watch somebody take accountability for their actions, for them to to watch somebody stick to their plan, that is inspiring in and of itself. Oh, totally. This is why you're a cool dad. (laughs) Your girls get to watch you thrive. 
and do hard things. It's cool. And I don't think every kid has that, but that's so true. I mean, there's nothing more motivating than like a kid who is dropped off at a lesson, like I'm thinking of my own. And then like a mom, you know, is like, I I don't know how to say this, either working on her like physical skills, like goes to the gym during a lesson or brings in her laptop because she's got work to do. You know, Mm -hmm. she's not just like sitting around on her phone watching TikToks. Like your kid's going to do what you do. And if you prioritize the things that mean a lot to you, and no matter what, if you live this out, your kid's going to live this out. Oh, so good. Okay. Last thing you talked about strength and getting stronger in the off season. Um, I actually asked my dad, um, when it comes to off season, what should kids be spending the most time on? He's just like strength, like getting stronger, figuring out how their body moves, mobility, all these things. And you have a program I do. and it's like probably just like a prime off season program to follow. And it's not expensive for what it offers. Can you talk a little bit about it? And I'll make sure there's a link to it all later too. But I want you to share a little bit about it so people can, you know, take advantage of it this off season. Yeah. So I developed it in the fall of 2020. It was, you know, based off of some of the things that I was doing, but also a lot of questions I was getting from my own players about what to do. Oh, I found this on the internet. I don't know what this means. And so I just put together a program. It's got about 72 days worth of work between mobility exercises and strength exercises, running, sprint work. And then I also give hitting workouts to do as well because I have so many players who have also said, you know, I, I want to train. I want to go in the backyard. I want to hit in the garage. But there's just times where I just, I don't know what to do other than just taking a swing or remembering a drill that I did from a session. So I put that all in there. And to help in some of the accountability tangible pieces, I have kids test their exit velocity at the beginning, middle, and end of the 12 week session just so that they can see progress. Mm-hmm. Other than just, yeah, you know what? I went up five pounds in this exercise. I went up five pounds in that exercise, which is great. Oh my gosh, I can run 20 minutes without stopping now. Uh, I feel like I'm getting faster. But also just, look, at the end of the day, we're all trying to be the best we can in the batter's box. And getting stronger, translating it to my swing, rotational power, anti-rotation, all these things are going to equal you bringing up your floor as a player. And I think that's where a lot of players sometimes they just always look at the top the ceiling you know what am i look how look how good that person is what are they what am i capable of doing whereas like your ceiling goes up as your floor goes up as well mm-hmm. and so just bringing these things to light for players and giving them just a, a nice foundational program to to work off of and if, if they do my program once great if they do it you know i'm, I'm about to come out with my third program they want to keep doing it great the idea is that you know, for $200, you get a 12 week template on what an off season should look like Mm -hmm. and what progressive overload should look like. And, you know, the problem is that again, you look at somebody who lifts some heavy weight and is super strong and you're like, I want to be there. Great. But everybody all started somewhere. So if you can do 50 pounds on your deadlift week one and you can go up by 20 pounds over the course of 12 weeks. That is a huge gain. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's helping them understand that piece as opposed to just, well, now, but I only do 70. No, no, again, like stop comparing yourself. Like look at your own progress and look at these last three to four months. And now what if you did, what if you took that progress of three to four months over the course of a whole year? How different of a person, human, athlete would you be? And so it's just, it, it's my way of allowing kids to have a, like I said, a template and just some form of introduction to what an off season should look like. Yeah. And it, and it develops those habits that we both just said, like, you have to show up like this is what the program is. Right. And I think, you know, you may have lost people when you said it's $200, to be honest, you may have lost people, but I think it is worth every penny and more specifically because of the things you're learning outside of just the strength part. It's like, no, the discipline to show up and do this. That discipline to show up and do this might lead to 10 minutes of swings outside of this training that you add. Like it, it is astronomical how I know you've seen people take this program. I physically took this program because I'm like, okay, I want to know the hype. And I think there's just, there's so much to be gained. And it's like the perfect Christmas present, <laughs> if you ask me, because we're in the off season. And now it's like, you have time. You have more time. And again, it goes back to the same thing. Perspective, values, priorities. And I've, I, I'm not a salesman. I mean, this is just, this is out there. This is, it's there. You know, I'm not, I don't pedal it all the time. This is for people who ask the question. I go, well, this is what's out there for you. And I've gotten into conversations with parents and decision makers and they go, well, $200, that seems like a lot. And I go, well, you spent five bucks at Starbucks yesterday. And my program costs $2.20 a day. And you have it for a lifetime. Yes. Or they say $200. Well, that's a lot of money. And I go, well, your kid swings a $450 bat. It's just a piece of metal. It's a tool that sits on the ground. And if it just, if nobody ever picks it up, it's still just a $450 piece of metal. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it's, it's perspective. It's does getting bigger, faster and stronger, make that $450 bat better. Of course it does. And it's, it's the same. It, and it's funny because people say to me all the time, like, well, will you say this? Cause you're a trainer. No, no, no. I don't, this has nothing to do with me. This has to do with the blueprint and understanding and respecting the process. I would tell you to not play games all fall and winter. If what you were lacking was off field stuff. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean I need you to come train with me. Go train anywhere. Just go train. Respect the process, respect the understanding. The game, you know, is changing and it's evolving because of the things that have been happening off the field for the past 20 years. The stuff on the field is still the same. It's going to be the same. The law of baseball and softball says when you hit it, somebody's catching it. So you better make sure that when you do hit it, it's as good as you can possibly hit it as often as you can possibly do it. And that's going to come from all the stuff off the field. Mm -hmm. Simple. Simple yet effective. Um, I will. But not easy. And I think that's the problem. People confuse simple with easy. Right. That's true. Um, The yoga that's inside your program, not easy. No, not easy. And not simple. Mm-mm. No, not at all. Um, but it's a practice. 
And you know, every time you do it, you find yourself holding that blank a little longer, you know, it's crazy. Amazing. So I'll make sure that, well, where can people find it? I'm assuming on your website. Basamitraining.com. Yes. I'll put that in the show notes. Make sure you have access to it. Like I said, there's no more perfect time than getting it now and having it throughout the year. Like this is where I just think of perspective and I'm like, okay, look at yourself now. Where are you? Acknowledge where you are. And if you put in the work, like if you do this training program, you do it like three times throughout a year. And at this time next year, just imagine how much more of a holistic athlete you can be when you've done this and put in the work. Like you're going to look at yourself and you're going to look back at it and be like, wow, 2022, I was so weak. And now you're like, boom, I am so strong. Like it's, again, simple, but it, it does take the work. It does take the accountability. And I hope people are inspired by this conversation and want to dive into this off season and become stronger, better, faster, all the things. All the things. Any other final thoughts about, about off season training? We missed? No, I would say set a goal, formulate a plan. If, if anybody who needs help formulating a plan, reach out to me. I'll help you. Helping you understand all the things that go into it. And at the end of the day, it's, as you said, showing up on a daily basis and knowing that you're, you might not see what you want to see today or tomorrow, but today and tomorrow are setting you up for that season that you want to have that breakout season, that separation season that you're trying to have. Boom. Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show again. This might be the most impactful conversation we've had yet. I don't know. We'll have to hear what the people say. I will put all the places people can find you on Instagram and Twitter where you inspire me. Um, also in the show notes as well. But thanks for coming on. This has been fun. No, thank you. It's always an honor. As you can tell, I'm a huge fan of Chris. I love our conversations. We actually talk weekly about hitting and just stuff going on. And this was a common one for us. So I'm so happy that you got to listen to Chris once again on the show. Like I said, he's been on the show before. I will make sure all of his previous episodes he's been on are in the show notes, along with the program that he talked about that you can have access to by clicking in the show notes or going to vasamitraining.com and just at least looking at the incredible program that he has. Like I said, I took it for a reason. I wanted to see my own exit velocity go up and it sure did. And I did feel strong. And the discipline around creating this plan and routine of training was the biggest thing that I got out of it. So thank you again for tuning into this episode. Please share with a friend, a coach, a coworker, whoever you think will find this episode to be appealing for them. And thank you for tuning in to another episode. Do not forget to stay awkward, stay humble, keep smiling, and don't forget you're doing just fine. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you next week. 